There's a romantic comedy uh, from several years ago, fearing that Valentine's Day is coming up this week, um, that there's a romantic comedy from a couple of years ago called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, I don't know if any of you saw that, uh, that film, but it tells a story of, of this woman, Tula, who is a, a Greek-American woman who falls in love with a non-Greek guy, Ian. And uh, much of the movie uh, focuses on the particularities of Tula's uh, very colorful Greek-American family, uh, their traditions, their culture. Um, but there's a scene at, near the beginning of the movie where uh, Tula is, is co- talking with her father about her desire to start taking computer classes at a local college. And her father doesn't like this idea at all and thinks that instead she should, quote, get married and have babies. Um, And so after her father leaves the room, uh, Tula turns to her mother and says, Ma, dad is so stubborn. What he says goes, ah, the man is the head of the house. And then her, her mother replies, let me tell you something, Tula. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty funny line, um, and it illustrates the fact that men and women often have very different perspectives on the roles of husbands and wives in marriage, and who is the head, and who is the neck, and, and, uh, and, and who's in charge here? Well, in our text this morning, Paul actually addresses husbands and wives in, a, um, in how they should relate to one another in, in marriage. Um, he also addresses a couple other relationships. Uh, he talks about how parents and children should relate. And he also talks about slaves and masters, which was another common household relationship in that culture at that time. Uh, we are nearing the end of a sermon series that we've been going through on the book of Colossians, called Centered in Christ. And uh, we've been studying this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Colossae and how he continually is reminding these believers throughout this letter that the center of who they are is Jesus Christ. And he's calling them to be centered in Christ. Um, And so last week, what we looked at was kind of a shift um, in, in where Paul was focusing, where Paul was encouraging the Colossians to of how they are to live, right? As, cent- as Christ is in the center, how should they live in their lives? And, and he used the language last week of, of how they are called to put off their old ways, put off their old clothes, and to put on their new clothes, put on the new life that they had been given in Christ. Well, today in our passage, um, Paul gets very specific about what some of that new life looks like specifically in some of these particular relationships. And as we're going to see, the common thread through all of them is the idea of serving one another, um, which is the title of my sermon today. We're going to look at what Paul has to say about serving one another in, in these various different contexts that he mentions and how that also connects to, to our context, to our lives today. So our, our text today is Colossians Three. Um, we're going to begin with verse 18, and then we'll read uh, just barely into, into chapter 4, verse 1. Um, and it's on page 834 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to, to follow along uh, with it as well. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. Paul writes, uh, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, look into these very specific instructions that, that Paul gave, uh, that, that we trust, that we know is, is from you, Lord. This is your word uh, to us and to the church in Colossae. And, and so we pray that you would just help us to, to understand and, and to be open, Lord, to how you are challenging us and encouraging us and, and shaping us through your word today, through these, these words uh, that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write. And so um, give us open ears and hearts to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we jump into uh, this passage, I want to just make a couple of introductory comments. Um, and f- first is just to acknowledge that for some people, this can be a, uh, a co- sort of controversial and, and emotionally charged passage, um, you know, because Paul talks about wives submitting to their husbands, which doesn't sound very politically correct in our culture today. Um, and also, to be honest, has been misused as a justification for abuse in some situations. Um, And also, in this passage, Paul talks about slaves obeying their masters. And that is really hard to hear in our culture, uh, because I think when we hear that, oftentimes our minds go to the brutal, inhumane history of slavery here in America when we hear that language of slaves and masters. And, And again, passages like this one were used, misused, as a justification for that very evil practice of, of chattel slavery in, in our own country. And I think the second challenging thing about this passage is that the instructions Paul gives are very specific. Um, you know, Paul addresses husbands and wives, but not everyone's married, right? So you might think, well, does this apply? How does this apply to me? Um, Paul addresses parents and children. Not everyone has children. Um, not all children have parents that they may be directly in contact with. Um, And when we get to the instructions, again, about slaves and masters, we're really in strange territory because that relationship doesn't exist in our culture, right? We don't have these household slaves and masters that Paul was addressing um, in our context. So here's the thing. This is a hard passage to preach and to teach on, but it's really important to preach and teach on it because it is God's word. It is God's word to us. And rather than being something that we might want to avoid, um, this passage is actually meant to communicate an aspect of the new life that we've been given in Christ. This is part of what Paul says, right? This is how we put on the new clothes, um, what God's intentions are for life in the family and a life at, at work. Um, and so, as I mentioned, there is a common theme that runs through these instructions, which I'm going to kind of unpack for us uh, through it, which applies both to these very specific um, relationships Paul mentions, but I believe that it also actually applies more broadly to any relationship that we have. 
So even if you're not married or you don't have kids, I think what Paul is talking about here applies to, to all of us. It is this theme of embracing a posture of serving one another, serving one another in our relationships. So as we walk through um, these different examples that Paul uses, what I want to focus on here is a contrast that, we see, that, that, that I'm going to kind of flesh out. The contrast is dominance and passivity on the one hand versus active serving on the other. Um, in our culture, um, and what we often... Well, the, way, the way we often see relationships work in our world, and this is true in Paul's day, it's true in our day today too, is that we often see these first two dynamics, dominance and passivity. Um, sometimes we see them working a combination of a two. But what Paul is doing is he's calling us away from either of those to a posture of active serving. So I'm going to flesh that out in each of these relationships. Um, so let's take a, take a look at that first relationship Paul mentions. He talks about husbands and wives, right? The relationship in marriage. Um, now, in the ancient world, husbands had a dominant role in, their, in relation to their wives. That was the way that it was culturally. Um, you know, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, he wrote about the relations of the household, and he stressed what he saw as the natural superiority of the master over the slave and the male as husband and father over um, his wife and children. And so the common dynamic in the home, in the context where Paul is writing, was for the husband to dominate um, the wife and for the wife to just be passive and subservient to, to the husband. Um, you know, in, in, our, in our contemporary society, there can be that tendency still, too, for some husbands to take up a similar kind of position of dominance in relation to their wives, uh, particularly that, that, that happens, I think, in particular cultures in our world where there could be that sort of dominant uh, position. But also in our culture, there can sometimes be a counter tendency um, in, in some marriages where the wife becomes dominant um, and the husband is passive. And, and so, um, you know, the example that I gave earlier from that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, it shows in sort of a humorous way the common dynamic that often is true in, in many marriages where both husband and wife are struggling to be the more dominant one, right? They both sort of want to dominate. They, won't, they both want to, to sort of have their way. Um, you know, Tula's dad says the man is the head of the house, uh, meaning that what he says goes. Tula's mom says the woman is the neck um, and she can turn the head whichever way she wants. So both of them, right, are, are trying to dominate. Both of them are trying to have their own way. Over time, when that happens in a marriage, guess what? Oftentimes, someone will win that struggle, um, which, which will then lead to whoever that other person is becoming passive and sometimes passive aggressive um, because of the resentment that they may feel towards their spouse for being so domineering and dominant. Now, in contrast to this dynamic of, of dominance and passivity, Paul paints a totally different picture of active serving for both husbands and wives. And he fleshes it out a little bit differently between them. Um, so the, the, we, we see this first in verse 18, where Paul says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now at first glance, that might sound like Paul is saying, wives be passive and let your husbands dominate. Which unfortunately is how many men over the centuries have read this verse and, and used it as an excuse to dominate um, their wives. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Because the word that Paul uses here, that word submit, is actually a voluntary, willing action to put one's own interests 
under the interest of someone else. It's a, it's a choice, right? It's a voluntary, active choice of saying, I am going to willingly put my interest behind and let this other and put their interest above my own. So what it is, it's, 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 it's a choice not to try to dominate, right? That's clear, right? Not trying to dominate your spouse, but instead, again, Paul says for wives to serve that husband to, to, and to look to them for leadership. And so for, for Paul, what he's saying here is wives, instead of trying to dominate your husbands or just passively letting them dominate you, instead, actively look for ways to serve your husband and encourage him to lead. But Paul knows that if wives are doing that, husbands will have a tendency to use this as an excuse to dominate and lead in a selfish way. So he says on verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now this, Paul's instruction at at this time this is actually very countercultural at the time that Paul was writing because there are similar kind of household codes um, that we see in Greek and Jewish writings at that time. And many of them have this sort of command of wives submit to your husbands, but none of them have a parallel command to the husbands for husbands to love your wives. This was unique as, as that Paul is writing here. And the word that Paul uses here for how husbands are, what they're to do is to love their wives it comes from the Greek word agape, um, which is a love that talks about the kind of sacrificial, self-giving love that God has for us. Um, in fact, in a, in a similar passage in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul expands on this and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the model that, that Paul has for husbands is not sort of an authoritarian alpha male telling his wife what to do, nor is it a passive man that just does whatever his wife tells him to do. But instead, what Paul holds up is the example of Christ, Christ giving up his rights and even his life for the church, actively looking for ways to show sacrificial love for the wife. And so, so as the wife is submitting to her husband's leadership, the husband is seeking to lead in a sacrificial, self-giving way toward his wife. And so what you see here is that, that, that the, 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 the ideal that Paul is talking about, right, is where husbands and wives are both looking for ways to actively serve one another. For the, 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 the wife to be actively looking for ways to serve the husband. And the husband is act, looking for active ways to serve and love sacrificially his wife. Um, rather than trying to dominate each other. See that different dynamic there that Paul is fleshing out here? Now when we turn to the, the second pairing of parents and children. We see kind of a similar pattern or dynamic. In our world we see often two extremes of parenting. On the one hand some parents dominate their children, control them, punish them out of anger, don't empower them to learn to make their own decisions. They're just domineering. And on the other hand, our parents who are just passive and allow their children to dominate, dominate them. Um, you know, they give their kids whatever they want. They don't discipline them, uh, don't give them instruction or direction, and really kind of want their kids to see them as just sort of their buddy rather than their parent. Um, and so, so we see this, right, the, these two different dynamics in, in parenting. Sometimes it's either dominating or sometimes it's being passive. 
Now, in contrast to these two extremes, again, Paul gives a very different picture of how parents and children are to relate to each other. In verse 20, he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And so he's calling children here to to actively serve their parents in obedience, in obeying them not trying to dominate their parents, right? The children are supposed to submit and be willing to to say, I'm following your direction to the parents. But knowing the tendency for parents to take advantage of that, Paul says in verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Um, Now, Paul is addressing fathers here in particular because in that culture, fathers had the primary responsibility of issuing orders to children um, and so kind of applying this to our modern day culture, I think Paul's instruction here would, would apply specifically, obviously, to fathers, but also, I think, to mothers, too, that, that parents, right, are, are to, to the way that they are to, to care for their children. Um, he says, don't embitter your children, uh, meaning that, that they are not to provoke their children to bitterness or to a rebellious attitude. So that means that parents are meant to direct and instruct and discipline their children, but to do it in a way that is loving and that is actually serving their children, not serving themselves, right? Not, not trying to do something in a self-centered way um, that might provoke a response of anger and bitterness, but actually the way that they're parenting their kids is out of love for them, right? As a way to actively serve them and care for them. Now, the third relationship that Paul addresses here is masters and slaves. And, and as I mentioned before, this This is one of the most difficult parts of this passage. Um, You know, the topic of slavery and the Bible is a huge one. And there isn't time for me this morning to give sort of a comprehensive look on this topic. Um, But let me just say that although Paul here in in this passage, he doesn't speak out against the institution of slavery, but he also doesn't necessarily endorse it as a good thing. What Paul is doing here is he is addressing Christians and how they are to live in an existing social institution at that time, right? He says, this is something that's happening, right? There are, there are Christians in this church, who, some of whom were slaves, some of whom were masters. And so he says, you are in this institution. How are you to interact in that way? How are you to live in the midst of this? Um, and, and I should mention also that, that the way that, that slavery functioned at this time in that, in that culture was very different from the way that it functioned in the United States uh, in, in kind of slavery that we see in the South. Um, many slaves in the ancient world actually voluntarily sold themselves into slavery, almost kind of like a bankruptcy law sort of um, function. And slavery in that culture was not racially based. Um, it was not tied to a particular race, whereas we do see that in our, in our nation's history, it was. And, and so, you know, I think for, for us today, we rightly recognize that when you look at the overall teaching of the Bible, it, it points to the fact that slavery in any form is wrong, uh, that, that all people are created in the image of God and should not be bought or sold. Right? That's, that's clear when that you see that. And you see that as Christian theologians begin to, to unpack that their understanding is that this is not something that should exist. Right? Um, but when we look at how Paul addresses masters and slaves in in this passage, again, addressing how they were living in the midst of this institution at that time, we see, again, the same dynamic that we saw with husbands and wives and with parents and children. Because in that culture, what the tendency was, was for masters to dominate their slaves and for slaves to be passive. And so, again, Paul shows a different way. 
he shows a way of active serving. So in verse 22, Paul says uh, to, to the slaves in Colossae to not just be passively dominated by their masters, but he says actually be active in your service. Not just doing the bare minimum when your master's eye is on you, but actually working with sincerity of heart. And he says, why should you do that? Because you should actually do it with reverence for the Lord, right? That as you're serving. And verse 23 continues this thought where he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, right? So he's saying, do, whatever you're doing, whatever situation you're in, think about how you can be serving the Lord, how you can be actively serving. But again, knowing the tendency for masters to take advantage of that attitude, in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul challenges the masters to not dominate their slaves, to be just and fair with them, to provide for them. You might even say for them to look for ways to serve them as valued members of their household. And, and he says, recognize, masters, that, that you also have a heavenly master above you. Uh, and so it's not just you're, the, you're, you're, you're the, the one that's in charge here, right? So you say, again, this is very countercultural at the time that Paul is writing, right? For him to address masters and say, you also have responsibilities, masters. You need to, to actively think about how you can care for and love these, these household servants in your, in your place. Now, I think for us, again, th- this... The, this area of masters and, and, and slaves, it doesn't really apply to us because it's not an existing reality. Um, but I think that actually some of what Paul says here um, can apply actually to a situation that we might find ourselves in more in our world, uh, which is the situation of employers and employees. Um, and, and so because I think in, oftentimes in our culture, uh, there is a tendency similar uh, like we've been talking about for employers to dominate their employees to sort of get as much as possible out of them to not care about their employees um, well-being but there's also a tendency sometimes for employees to be passive um, to kind of resent their employers to try to get away with doing the bare minimum right so we see these these tendencies right these sinful tendencies in us right we're always looking for either ways to dominate or to sort of be passive and 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 lackadaisical and so we might imagine Paul maybe addressing us in our modern day world saying, employees actively serve your employer, not just when they're watching, but do your work as working for the Lord. Similar to what he says to the, to the, to the, the, the servants, the slaves. And he might say, employers don't take advantage of your employees, but provide what's fair to them. Find ways to actively serve them as well. And so again, verse 23 applies here where he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now at this point, you might be kind of recognizing some ways that maybe you have been falling short of what Paul is saying in this passage. Maybe you're recognizing in your own heart ways that you might have a tendency to either dominate or to sort of just be passive in different relationships in your life, uh, rather than taking on this posture of active serving. And you might be thinking to yourself, I need to do better. I need to be a better spouse, or, or, or a better parent, or a better employer or employee. And, and if, that's, if you're feeling that, that's good and right, uh, because that means that the Holy Spirit is probably convicting you of your sin and, and maybe your failure to live as God wants you to live in some of these different relationships. It is good to want to live in line with God's desires. Um, but if you walk away from this message primarily thinking about what you need to do and how you need to do better, 
it's only going to get you so far because your willpower and your effort is not going to transform you into a person who lovingly and actively serves the people in your life. The law, this is the law here, right? Proclaiming the law of how we are to to live. The law itself is not going to motivate you. It's not going to empower you actually to do what the law is commanding you to do. So what will? Um, Kind of the question I just want to camp out here at the end of, of the sermon is this question of what motivates us to serve one another? So what is it that actually empowers us, what actually motivates us to do these things that Paul is talking about here, to to transform us into people who are not dominating or being passive, but who are actively serving those in our lives? Well, we get the first clue to this by noticing that throughout this passage, throughout these verses, Paul has a similar refrain that our serving of others is actually a way to serve the Lord. Paul uses phrases like, as is fitting in the Lord, for this pleases the Lord with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, because you know that you have a master in heaven. Um, in verse 24, Paul kind of wraps it up, encapsulates this by says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So an initial answer to this question of what motivates us to serve one another is that by serving one another, We are serving Jesus Christ. That that actually, when we're thinking about this this posture of how we're serving, what what should motivate us is that we want to serve the Lord. And so because we want to serve the Lord, we should serve our spouse. We should serve and and love our, our children in this way. So guess what? Who's at the center of serving each other? It's Christ, right? Once again, it's Christ. It's all about being centered in him. That is what will will motivate us to be able to actually serve the people around us. And why do we serve Jesus? Why do we serve Christ? What motivates us to, to want to serve Jesus by serving one another? Well, it's grounded in what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has done for us. Just like we talked about last Sunday, the way that we live as Christians, it's all rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what Christ has done for us. So we want to serve Jesus in response to what he has done for us. What has he done for us? Well, even though we fail to live like this passage is calling us to do often, we often try to dominate our spouse or our kids or others in our lives, or we're passive and we allow them to dominate us. Even though we fail to actively serve people in our lives in this way, guess what? Jesus doesn't condemn us for that. In fact, he chooses to actively serve us by paying for our sin in our place, by saving us. In our our scripture reading that Amanda read earlier from, from Mark chapter 10, Jesus says of himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus took on the posture of active serving. Right? He came to serve us. And how did he serve us? By giving his life as a ransom for us, to, to buy us back to himself. So, so if you think about some of the, the instructions in this passage, think about it through the lens of Jesus now for a minute. The gospel says that Jesus is the husband who sacrificed himself fully for us, his bride. 
The Bible talks about us as the bride of Christ. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life, right, for us. The gospel says that, that Jesus is the son who was perfectly obedient to his father. He was the perfect child who always obeyed his heavenly father. And why did he do it? He did it in our place to be the one who fulfilled the law, who was perfectly obedient when we are not. The gospel says that Jesus made himself a slave. He made himself a servant. We heard that in the Philippians 2 passage. He humbled himself. Why did he do that? To free us from our slavery to sin. And so because Jesus has has done that, because he has fulfilled this passage perfectly in our place, we are forgiven. We are declared righteous. We are accepted. As we talked about last week, we have been given the new clothes of Christ's righteousness, which covers over our sin and our failure. And so if Jesus has done all of that for us, don't you want to serve him in response? Right? Because he has served us in all these ways. He has given to us. Why would we not want to say, Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I want to give my life to you. And, and when we ask, how do I serve you, Jesus? He says, serve one another. Serve the people around you in your lives. Um, like, like we talked about last week, when we truly believe this good news, this gospel, and rest in it, it will transform us from the inside out. It will free us from living in those old ways and free us to live in the new life we've been given in Christ, which this passage says, passage says it includes serving one another. So, so to kind of really um, hit it home, what motivates us to serve one another? It is the gospel. The gospel motivates us to serve one another. When we receive the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, that is what motivates us and empowers us than to serve one another. This is exactly what we see in that scripture reading, that other scripture reading that Amanda read from Philippians 2, where Paul says in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about the gospel, right? If you have received it, right? If you have, if you have gotten this encouragement of being united to Christ and and you have this comfort from his love, right? If you have received that gospel, then what does he say? Later on in verse four, he says, then each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because Christ has done this for you, don't look to your own interests. Don't just try to figure out ways that you can serve yourself, but, but look to the interests of others. Look for ways you can serve your spouse. You can serve your, your parent or children. You can serve in those work relationships. So the gospel is what motivates us to serve one another. Now, one, one thing that I also talked about last week is that the, that the gospel has the power to sort of cut out at the roots our sinful actions, right? Those, those old ways that we live, right? That when, when we actually understand the gospel, it sort of cuts out and frees us from those old clothes, those old ways of doing. So do you think that that might apply to sort of these old ways that we often live in terms of dominating or, or being passive in our relationships? It does. So, so here's how to, let me give you an example of this. So, so often what's behind our dominating, it's a longing to feel important, to want to be in control, 
right? Because so I want to feel control in, in control, and and I want you know my employees, or I want my kids, or my spouse, or my friends. I want them to listen to me and to respect me, and and to give me what I feel I deserve, right? So so there's there's actually an idol there that's operating. We talked about that last week too. That is sort of this idol of of needing people to to listen to me and and affirm me and approve of me, and so we we try to force that from them by dominating over them, right? I'm going I'm to demand their respect of me. So I'm going to dominate them, right? What about our tendency to be passive? Well, often behind our tendency to be passive is a longing for the other person to notice us and, and to like us and to be pleased with us. And, and so sometimes a, a passive uh, wife or husband will just do whatever their spouse says because they want their spouse to notice them and to approve of them. You know, passive parents um, are, are often are they longing for their children to like them, right? So I'll, I'll just do whatever my kid wants because I just want them to like me, right? I just want them to, to, to not be upset with me. And so again, behind our passivity sometimes is an idol. It's an idol of wanting approval from that other person. So both dominance and passivity, these kind of old ways, they're driven by these deep longings within us to feel important, to feel valued, to, to gain approval. And we try to find that, we try to satisfy that in other people rather than God, right? So I want to try to get the feeling of importance. I'm going to try to get it from my spouse or I'm going to try to get it from my, my kids or at work. But ironically, what happens, it often backfires on us, right? Because when we try to dominate someone to force them to, to respect me, often what does it do? It actually makes them rebel and, and withhold the very thing that I'm looking for from them. And, and being passive, it often leads to the other person just sort of walking all over us, and we grow to resent them. So these old ways, guess what? They don't work. They don't actually lead to the things that we actually want. So what can free us from these deeper heart attitudes that lead us to dominate or be passive? Guess what? Like I said last week, it's the gospel. It's resting in the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? The gospel says that though all you are terribly broken in all these ways, God still loves you. He still forgives you. And the gospel says that all these things that you're trying to get from your spouse or your kids or, or your work by dominating or being passive, you already have all of it in Christ. You've already been given the importance that you need. You've already been given the approval that you need. And so because of that, we are freed from the need to dominate or to be passive. We no longer need to dominate people for a sense of importance. We are infinitely important because the God of the universe values us in Christ. How much more important can you get than that, right? So I don't need to dominate someone to, to feel important. We no longer need to act passive to gain someone's notice or approval because we are infinitely noticed and approved because God sees us and he approves of us in Christ. So I don't need to, to try to get that by, by just sort of being passive and doing whatever that person says. So the gospel is what gives us the security of how God sees us in Christ, that we no longer need to look for importance and respect and approval from our spouse or our kids or our parents or our employer, employees or our friends. And so when we're fulfilled and satisfied in Christ, it then frees us to actively serve the people around us in our relationships because we're no longer doing it to try to get something from them. We can just freely serve them because we are satisfied in Christ, right? So I can love that person even if they're not loving me back in the way that I want them to, because Christ loves me, because I'm satisfied in Christ. And the ironic thing is that when we begin to serve and, and love people in that kind of way, 
in a sort of a no strings attached kind of way, it often actually impacts the other person. And they actually sometimes maybe start to want to respond in the same way. You know, when I love my spouse freely, not demanding something in return from them, it often will actually lead to my spouse loving me in return. That doesn't always happen. And, and, and we don't do it for that reason, right? I don't love my spouse so that they will then love me back because then what are we, we're right back into sort of trying to control and dominate, right? I'm trying to get something from them. That's why I'm loving them. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. Because of our sinful nature, we will continue to default to those old clothes, to, to dominating and act, acting passively and, and serving in order to get something from ourselves. So we... Guess where we need to go all the time, regularly? We need to go back to the cross. We need to go to the cross over and over again to see how much Jesus loves us and how secure our status is in him, which will then send us out to love and serve one another. And guess what we need to do? We need to go to the cross together, husbands and wives, going to the cross and saying, we both need forgiveness. We, both, we, are, we are failing at this, right? Parents and children, we need to go to the cross together. And I, I've had to do that with my own kids sometimes, realizing that I'm, I'm acting out of my own sinful behavior and say, you know what? We, we're both sinners here. <laughs> I'm sinning, you're sinning. Let's both go to the cross and ask for Jesus' forgiveness and, and, and have him cleanse us. We need to go to the cross together. And as we bring each other to the cross to hear the gospel again, it will transform us to begin to serve one another. And, and maybe in your life, there's a, there's a situation where maybe your spouse is not a believer in, in Christ. And so you need to go to the cross and you need to go to the cross even for them and, and, and go to, to say, Jesus, I need your help to love my spouse and that you be working in their life as well um, to, to bring them to a place. And maybe even the way that you are actively serving is, is being Jesus to them and showing them a model of how Christ loves them as well. So as we close, I just want you to, to think about those relationships in your life um, and the roles that you have. And to think about, do you have a tendency to dominate in any of them? Or do you have a tendency to be passive when actually you should be thinking about how to be active in that relationship? And, and if, you, if you actually realize that maybe the Lord is convicting you of something there, just confess that to him. Just bring it to him. Tell him about your struggles as a husband or wife or as a parent or child um, at your work with your friends. And then, brothers and sisters, receive his forgiveness because he has forgiven you for that. He has paid for your sin in full on the cross. He laid down his life as a ransom for you. Um, And so receive his words that you are secure in Christ and gaze upon the cross at how much he loves you, how much he has served you, And the key, as we've been coming to back time and time again in Colossians, it is to be centered in Christ. So go there again. Go to Christ. That is the only way that we will actually be able to do the things that Paul is talking about in this passage, is if we are centered in Christ. And so allow Christ to center you in him again. And as he does, then go. Go and serve and love the people that God has placed in your life. Because he loves them and he wants to love them through you as well. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that, that uh, a passage like this, it is difficult. It is challenging. 
And Lord, we acknowledge that we are, we are sinners and we have our sinful nature and, and our sinful nature, it just grates against this, Lord. We don't want to serve. Um, we want to, we want to dominate or we want to, we want to get something from, from we're, we're so self-centered, Lord. We just acknowledge that. Um, and we do that in our relationships. And, and so we need you to free us, Lord, to free us from our self-centeredness, to free us from, from the ways that we try to, to get something and, and we're thinking about ourselves primarily. And Jesus, we just thank you that you're not like us, that you're, you're not self-centered, that you laid down your life for us on the cross, that you were willing to humble yourself, to become a slave um, for us, and, and that you were willing to lay down your life in our place. And so, Jesus, as we gaze upon the cross, we, we, we pray that you'd forgive us for the ways that we fail to, to follow the instructions that Paul gives here, that you give to us, Lord, in your word through the Apostle Paul. Um, forgive us, Lord, and, and, and help us to receive that forgiveness again, and that it tr- would transform us to be people who love like this. Do it through it. God, we can't do it ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, you are within us. Do what we cannot do. Fill us, Jesus, to love in the way that you love and to rest again in all that you've done for us as we seek to love those around us. In Jesus' name we pray.